0: I think that was all of them. Um, (laughs) Pleasure to be with you this morning, church. Again, uh, greetings to you from the brothers and sisters at the Well Community Church up in Argyle, Texas. If you don't know where that is, it's a little north of Fort Worth and the DFW Airport. Um, Pleasure to be with you guys today. I've enjoyed getting to be here. Y'all have hosted my family well. Um, And I think, even in the spirit of how this entire thing called church started, Um, we see one another as brothers and sisters. So already miracles this morning, baptisms, lives changed, worship to God. He's everything we just sang about. So we're just going to continue in that, getting into his words. You guys are in a series called Magnify. Fun to get to jump in on that a little bit this morning. Uh, We're in the letter, uh, John's second letter, at least the second one we have from him. So if you can find that, it's near the back of your Bibles, just after 1 John you're following along, and right before 3rd, which I think you guys will be in next week. So here's, as you're turning there, here's, here's kind of the setting of, of this letter. Um, my youngest son said this morning, he's like, is that, gonna, is that the whole sermon? Um, and I said, yeah, it's, it's kind of a little letter. Um, I can't promise it's going to be a little sermon. So, but they got me on the clock. So, all right, here's what's happening here in this letter, which really was a bit of a sermon, in that John, he's the last living apostle. This is written kind of late into his life. And he, and he is overseeing kind of the elder over a network of churches that were meeting in homes or house churches, around, probably around the uh, modern-day area of Ephesus. Um, now, these were probably largely Jewish followers, People who had converted from Judaism to follow Jesus as one true Messiah, believing that he came in bodily form, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then was died, executed on a cross, and rose again on the third day. And that he is in heaven reigning over all of us. That's what they believed. John is overseeing these house churches, um, but there's been a small crisis there's a very personal crisis, and that's what tends to happen in churches. The enemy of God loves to get in there and work through personal crises in churches. Some of the members of this church that John is writing to have walked away from that truth, that Jesus came in bodily form. They're thinking, well, there was probably some sort of spiritual manifestation that was Jesus, but he didn't really exist in the body. Do you understand what I mean? It's like there wasn't like a real human person named Jesus. We just kind of saw a spiritual manifestation of him. And what's happening is that there are those in this church being influenced by that teaching. Some of them probably real brothers and sisters, but they're being drawn away by this false teaching. John's caught wind of this, and that's why he's writing this letter. Now, 1 John actually addresses some of the doctrinal issues here, how we can know that Christ was actually fully human, fully God. And you know what? John's the one to tell us because he was there. That's what you're going to find in 1 John. He's going, I was there at the beginning. I walked with him. I saw him. 3 John's going to address that too. This letter specifically is to one specific house church. What John's going to call the, to the elder to the elect lady. Or the elder to the elect lady. That's what he's calling this church, the elect lady. And He's going to address that there are these deceivers who deny Jesus, who he truly is, and they're likely going to keep coming to you, seeking validation, support, and housing. So the message is to this church community to not offer them any hospitality. That could feel a little little rough. That creates an immediate conflict, doesn't it? Um, Why is that a tough message? It's hard to accept, even in this time. Um, we want to be nice. We want to be kind. We we also feel that sometimes we we need to do something nice so God will like us. That's not a new attitude that just came along with the 20th century or the 21st century. Now, Christians here were even struggling is like that's a hard message. Some I know some of these people they're they're my neighbors. They're friends. You know I I do business with them. Um, and John goes yeah, but they're teaching but they're teaching false doctrine. It's a tough message. Um, And there are those who deny Jesus, and they're going to continue to pray on that unbelief that all of us can sometimes have, that, ah, I've got to do something to please God. That maybe Christ wasn't enough. Wasn't that the original lie all the way back in in Genesis 3? Did God really say? Deceivers don't have anything new. There's no new creation with deceivers. They just kind of keep repackaging the old lie. And that's what's happening here. Let's, let's read the letter together. Let me give you the sense of what this, how this letter would have been received. It would have been an early house church. We might be out in the courtyard. Maybe it was a well-to-do church member that could host us in his larger home. He's got this outdoor courtyard. Um, and we're gathered together as a church. We're here for service, and we're going, we've got, we've got a letter from the elder, from John. And we're going to read it aloud. So that's what we're going to do here this morning. If you look, you can read along with me. The elder, that is John, to the elect lady, you local church, and her children, all you members, what does he say? Whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. John goes on saying, because I love you this much, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. (laughs) I I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Now, I, I ask you, dear lady or dear church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Strong language. John goes on, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for that we may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the, has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." Though I've much to write to you, I would rather not use pen and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister, the members of my local church, greet you, John says. All right. So earlier in, I mentioned first John. John, I've always connected very much with him. He is a bit of a poetic pastor, if you will. Uh, I, go, I go to John when I'm feeling just particularly sinful. <laughs> And, and I need to be reminded of how much God lo- really does love me in Christ. You need to be reminded of that, too, because he reminds me that, Jared, you, you don't have to achieve God's love. You have it. Like sitting with John is like sitting with a grandfather who's just sitting there going like, listen, son, it's going to be all right. Here's what's really true. And that's what he's doing for this local church. He's saying this is what's really true. But it's an emergency application of his first letter. So, the doctrine and truth that he taught in that first letter, here's what it looks like with skin on. Because John has been combating this lie called Gnosticism. Basically, there's this separation between what's done in the flesh and what's done in the spirit. Only what's done in the spirit really matters. You can do whatever you want to with your flesh, that's not connected to this in any way. That's heresy and they would draw this out, and they would say, Jesus only came, like he was a spiritual manifestation, he wasn't really fleshly. So he didn't really die. Do you see how that's a direct attack on the sacrifice that Christ made for us? It undoes everything. And John's saying, I'm writing to you guys because some of you are walking in the truth, and some of you are being drawn away by these deceivers who are going out into the world. So, There's an immediacy to what John's arguing here. Um, The first thing on your outline is that the false teachers claim that there's something more you have to do. The false teachers are claiming there's something more you have to do. But John cuts straight to the heart of Christ and his truth and our existence. He was there with Jesus He was close to him. In fact, John's often described as the disciple Jesus loved. And John says that to deny Jesus is both, to deny that Jesus is both God and man is to deny the central truth claim of Christianity. The gospel was under fire even in those days. that's, That's also a message, church. As you read these New Testament letters over the next few weeks, just know that it's nothing new. The pressure you feel, the, the things that are going on in the world, the challenges to our faith, the one true faith, the challenges to the one true God, this is nothing new. It's just our time to live this truth, to walk in it. That's what John is arguing. The gospel was under fire in those days. Um, And people were saying, there's more you've got to do because you see this body, whatever you do in this body, that doesn't really matter. You've got to achieve a certain spiritual plane. Now come over here and I'll I'll tell you what to do. Give me some money. Give me some housing. Let me stay with you. Two, three. Oh, no, it's going to be a little longer days. Give me some housing and I'll I'll tell you how to be spiritual. John is instead saying, no, that's not the gospel. John explains that gospel in his first letter. Now this this is all here so we can get the application here in a minute. I'm going to summarize John because I told you like he's one of my favorite church fathers to sit with. Some of my favorite books in the Bible. His gospel, these letters. He says, we're not saved by what we do. That's deception. We're saved by what God has done. Fully, wholly, we do not contribute to salvation at all. You bring nothing to the table. Well, how can this be? That's sometimes difficult to to grasp the gospel apart from the Holy Spirit's help. So we need him. If you struggle with the gospel, if you're struggling going, I'm not sure, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He's ever-present help, ever-present comforter. John has such a reliance on him, even to combat false teaching. We have a hard time sometimes with truly free gifts. We really do. All of us to some extent. Doesn't matter your personality, how you were raised. That's our flesh. We feel like there's got to be more. These deceivers plug into that. There's got to be more. God says, I am all the more. I've done it. So here's historical fact. Jesus Christ was fully human, John would say. He came. He really lived. I was there, and it was a perfect life. The only human being who ever lived a perfect life. That's the gospel. And therefore, Jesus earned God's blessing fully, freely. Then at the end of his life, he went to a cross and he took the curse that we deserve. He earned the blessing of a fully obedient human being, the only one in history to ever do that. And then he did something that he didn't have to do. He took on the curse and punishment that was intended for imperfect, disobedient human beings like you and me. He took that on. So that means when you become a Christ follower, you put your faith in him alone. All your sins and everything that deserves to fall on you falls on him. And then all of his blessing, what he deserves, what Jesus Christ deserves, falls on you. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. That's what's at stake here. It is astounding and it is a truth and it's this truth that this elect lady, this local church, and maybe this local church is mostly walking in when they receive this letter from John. He writes in verse 1, whom I love in truth, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. This, this deep love is emphatic throughout his letter. What he means by that word, that word know we, we kind of got to do a little, a little work here because we, we tend to separate mind and heart just in a, in a Western understanding, you know, it's like, um, I know God with my mind, but do I know him with my heart? It's like, we, we make a dichotomy that these New Testament writers and especially ancient Hebrews wouldn't have made. Remember, this is to a largely kind of Jewish audience. So when, when John, when Paul are saying, when you know, when, when Paul is saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, John is saying, you know the truth. It means you don't just cognitively say, yep, Jesus Christ is Lord, check. It's that everything about you Heart mind fusion knows this, like it's in your guts and it influences what you do. There's no difference. See, we are holistic beings. The deceiver's saying what you do in the body doesn't matter, it's the spirit that matters. No, it's both. You are a spiritual being heart, soul, mind, and strength. And John's saying, I love you all for it. But just know that I love you because you know, you walk, heart, mind, fusion, this truth. And it makes them rejoice. It makes them rejoice. They not only know intellectually the truth, but they believe and walk in the truth as well. John says, as just a good pastor, says, man, you're doing it. Like pastors are natural encouragers. We should be. And John is encouraging them, saying, I know not everybody's falling to this deception. There are a lot of you who are walking in the truth. Keep going. I love you for it. Now, he says that out of that, moving on here, he says that because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, he says you've got the Holy Spirit. That's who he's talking about. He's the one who keeps you. He's the one who helps you recognize deception. Like, Spirit, help us recognize deceivers because you know the truth. And and John writes on, verse 2, verse 3, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. You hear the emphasis? You hear how confident he is of that? Because of these things, I know that this is what you have. All of this with you right now, church, whether you're in Ephesus or here in Lufkin, Texas. Here's a spiritual reality this morning. Grace, mercy, and peace all with us right now because of Jesus Christ. He's here. His Holy Spirit is guiding this time. He's speaking to you and to me. That's really happening. It's still true. John goes on, and he reminds them of some things historically. Because the message of 2 John really is this. This is also in your outline. The message of 2 John is really four commands. Know the truth. Love one another. Walk in the truth and watch yourselves, know the truth, love one another, walk in the truth, and watch yourselves. For John, nothing can take the place of obedience in Christian life. This metaphor that he talks about, I rejoice to find some, in fact, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Um, He loves this metaphor. Paul loves this metaphor of walking. Like, it really is the best metaphor for the Christian life. Because what happens when that gospel truth takes over you? You're saved fully, freely, forever. You don't lose that. But here's what you can lose. You can lose some joy. You know how we lose joy? We aren't walking. Salvation may come to you sitting in a chair. It doesn't keep you sitting in a chair. John's saying, I love that this salvation came to you, church, and you're not sitting. You are walking in the truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. He encourages them in their obedience. So if you can ever think of your Christian life, it's active. God has set you on mission. If you're, I, I tell people this all the time, especially men that I'll sit with in counsel, because men, men are just especially great at just heaping shame on themselves. We won't really be honest about it, but a lot of us are. And what I'll say is, hey man, here's what I'll tell you. If you're still sucking air, God is, still has plans for you. Amen. Like when you, when you check out, then you can say, okay, I, di- I did my work. Until then, you've got work to do. You've got work to do for him. That's walking. John says, that brings me great joy as your pastor and elder. Um, But here's the thing. He says, some of you in the congregation um, are being deceived. So we have two classifications of people here. We have people in the congregation who are being deceived, and we have people from outside the congregation who are deceivers, kind of pulling, pulling them away. John is saying, I don't want the deceived to go on being deceived. And part of that means we're going to have to deal with the deceivers. See, the, the deceivers are staying with the deceived in their house and are deceiving more brothers and sisters. John's argument here, this is the opening of the letter, haven't gotten to the meat, because I think it's important that you see how much rejoicing there is to, be, to have an obedience Guys, there are are a lot of Christians who are saved. They're not losing that, but they lack joy because they're not walking. You you can be saved and not walking with the Spirit. And you're probably a miserable Christian. We, We all struggle with that. That's why we need the Christian community. We need the Word of God. We need a brother or a sister to encourage us, to help correct sometimes, we need a church to be able to do That's what's happening here today. That's why you exist. It's not just to come listen to a guy talk on Sundays. It's to be that for one another. Mutual encouragers. And John says, I know some, for some of you, you're being drawn away. I'm calling all of you to active encouragement. Here's what we're going to do. Because those active commands that I'm talking about, that the Father gave you, can be obeyed or disobeyed. The joy, John would say, comes from obeying. What do I want you to obey? Verse 5. Love one another. Love one another. That's the command that appears most often among the over 51 another commands of the New Testament. You guys heard about this? Google it later. 51 another commands of the New Testament. You'll just see them on repeat. The one that is just, I mean, it just plays over and over. And John's a big contributor to that list. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. That command is still here. And John says, I'm not giving you anything new. This is the command that we've had from the beginning. When this whole thing started, that was what Jesus told us to do. You can't walk as a Christian without love. And we're going to have to remember that in a minute when we've got to take care of the deceivers, so that's coming. But first, I want to remind you, keep loving one another. Part of loving one another is reminding each other of truth. If someone's being deceived in the body, you who love them, pull them back in, remind them of truth. That's part of love for one another. But how do you practically love one another in the body of Christ in this church? Well, first you've got to put yourself under the faucet of God's love. You've got to receive the Lord's love for you. Recognize you don't bring anything to the table. Christ already accomplished it. That's what John emphasizes over and over in his gospel, in his letters. And also recognize that if if you're not walking with God, you can't give someone else what you don't have. The greatest contribution that each of you, man, woman, boy, and girl, have to make to this local church is your own personal walk with God. That's your greatest contribution. And John's saying some of you guys are doing that. That's why the command is so important. I'm emphasizing it because you need to hear it over and over because i heard it over and over john would say i remember when, when jesus washed our feet and then he said and I, it kind of came alive for me john might say this is the first time he said a new commandment i give you love one another just as i have loved you so you must love one another and by all this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one another if you have love for one another so how does love texas know that jesus christ is the savior You have love for one another. This is the commandment you have heard from the beginning. John 17, as as Jesus is in the garden, and it's the night before his crucifixion. Do you know the last uttered prayer that we have of Jesus in that garden? You know who it was for? It was for you, it was for us sitting here today. He says, Father, I don't pray only for these disciples who are with me. These guys over here asleep. I love them. (laughs) I don't only pray just for them, but I pray for the ones who will come through their teaching. Guys, that's us. Jesus Christ looked through time, and he prayed for you. He prayed for this thing happening here this morning. And he said, Father, I'm asking that you would bless them with unity, the kind of unity that you and I have, love for one another. Because love is more than mere feelings. This is on your outline. Love is more than mere feelings. Just know that culturally, that's the message today. That was being sent back then too. There's no new deception. Love is more than mere feelings. It is an act of will out of a heart formed by Jesus. You can't truly love unless your heart has been formed by Jesus. He is love. Love is more than mere feelings. It's an act of will out of a heart formed by Jesus. You want to walk with him. Verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you would walk in it. If I'm sounding a little repetitive, it's because John's repetitive. He's like, I want you guys to hear this over and over, because I know you as human beings. and I think he had personal relationships in this church. He's thinking, I want you to have this. Before I move on to the correction, I want you to know the most important thing you can be doing for God and for one another. This command to love one another is modeled in the Gospels, which in your own Christian discipleship, never be too far away from reading those Gospels. Just, just don't. There's a lot of Bible reading plans. You know, they'll read four different places in Scripture. Pick one that's got the Gospels, has you in the Gospels the whole year. Okay. That's how you get to know the heart of Jesus. That's how you get to see his, his love enacted. So don't, don't be too far away from those. And I think, I think we're in the spirit of John by saying that because he keeps reminding them. This command to love one another is from the beginning. John considers it foundational to our Christian conduct, which he's going to ask us to do something here in a minute. Also foundational to that is to stand for truth. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, or basically spread out among the world is another way to understand that. It's important to understand that because this isn't necessarily deceivers coming up within the local body. Like These people probably didn't come straight out of this church, but they're trying to infiltrate it. What they're doing is they're pulling the deceived along with them. Watch yourselves, John says watch yourselves. He's saying these deceivers are deniers of all that truth that we talked about in God's gospel. They're saying you've got to do more. They're actually lying about who Jesus really was. They're robbing him of his full humanity. So they're denigrating God's plan. They're denigrating your salvation. They're denigrating our Lord. That's what's happening here. Second John is an emergency application. Of 1 John. You can write that down. It's an emergency application of 1 John because denial of the incarnation of Jesus, that he was fully God and fully man here on this earth for those some 30 years. His coming in the flesh, as John calls it in this letter, links all three of those letters. We still see it today. Again, deceivers have nothing new. They are still trying to downgrade God, downgrade the gospel, They're trying to deify man, and it usually comes with a price tag. But you see this in in emerging new religions and religious fervor over everything from sexuality to politics. We're just just trying to create man-made religions. So we still have this problem. We still have deceivers, and we still have those of us in the church that can get deceived if we don't watch ourselves. So, watch yourselves in verse 8 is a translation of a word that Jesus used often with the disciples to warn disciples of believers. Watch yourselves is a translation. This is in your outline. Watch yourselves is the translation of a Greek word often used by Jesus in the Gospels to warn disciples disciples of deceivers, to be on constant guard. Don't get complacent. Don't get lazy. Enjoy God. Enjoy walking. But watch yourselves. Why? The rest of verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. What is a full reward? A godly life. One that shares the gospel by walking, by living. It is being with him for eternity, but also know that some of that inheritance is now. Some of what he's talking about is church unity. Watch yourselves in this deception, and this untruth, so that you don't lose the unity that Jesus commanded, John 13, prayed for, John 17, and still commands even today. Second John. The question for us, and as John goes on here, he's going to say, everyone who goes on ahead, that is, who's leaving this fellowship, who's being deceived by the deceivers, and the deceivers are drawing away the deceived, so everyone who is departing from the fellowship or who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, they're denying Christ. They don't have God. Eternal, eternal salvation is on the line. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, John says in verse 10, and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Oh, it sounds harsh. It doesn't sound loving. But you know what's also lo- unloving? Lying. And that's what they're doing. They are lying to you about the God of the universe. At this time, a lot of times traveling, traveling preachers that, you know, there weren't, there weren't hotels there in Ephesus or Jerusalem. So you would, you would stay with other people in the church locally. So what a lot of these deceivers were doing was they were coming in here and it's like, hey, I've, I've actually got extra, extra spiritual truth. And they're like wolves. They pick off the sheep that are struggling in the local congregation. Guys, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to not be okay. God's plan is that you don't have to stay that way. That's why he gives you the word. That's why he gives you this body. But they're like wolves over here, these deceivers, and they're going like, okay, this, person, this person's struggling. Hey, come, come on over here. Give me some food. Give me some lodging, and I'll, and I'll teach you the real way. Did God really say same old lie. And John's saying, don't host them because you're giving them approval. By doing that, they're coming into your home. I don't know if this metaphor is necessarily going to help us as we end today, um, but one of, my, one of my mentors was telling me a story. Um, he goes, you know, we, we, would have, we would have Mormon missionaries come by a lot, um, and my first inclination was always like, okay, I, you know, I like theology, so I'm going to pull them in and have a little fun with them. But what I found out is that as, I, as I, they come into my house, and I'm giving them the gospel, and they're getting frustrated with me, what they were doing is they were going down the street and telling my neighbors, oh, well, you can have us into your home. You know, Pastor Calvin just had us in his home, and we had a wonderful conversation. He said, At that, when I found that out, I said, I'm not letting them in my home again. Because what they're doing is they are preying upon my hospitality and they're using it to show my neighbors that I approve of them. And they're deceiving my neighbors. The question for us is, what are you letting in? That's the application of 2 John. It might not be deceiving teachers, at least not in person. What's that Wi-Fi bringing in your house? Watch yourselves. Is it bringing in something that's contrary to the truth that we've known from the beginning? Watch yourselves. So what's coming in? What are the, what are the, what are the books you're reading, if anyone still reads anymore? What are the YouTube videos you're watching? What are you streaming? I just, I, that's just the way we tend to bring things into our house now. Is there someone you're having into your home who is contending against the truth of Christ? Now, let me say this. Jesus spent time with tax collect, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes, but he didn't, he didn't affirm them. That's the difference. When Jesus met with people, he practiced a transformational inclusion, not an affirmational inclusion. And we need, we need each other's wisdom for that because there will be ministry opportunities. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not as clear as just you know, letting a Mormon missionary into my, across my threshold. It may not be that black and white. John is saying, I love you guys and I want you to do this and take care of those who are being deceived because I love you. And here's what God has given you. He's given you, you notice how John uses this family language. Elect lady, my children. You see it all the time in 1 John, my children, my children. Fathers, sons, all of that. He's saying you need each other. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone, Martin Luther. That should be last on your outline. And that's there because John's saying you need each other, church. Take care of those who are being deceived. Remove those who are deceivers. Don't have anything to do with them. Because you know the truth, heart-mind fusion. You struggle to walk in it together. This letter is a community experience. (laughs) So is your walking with Christ. Your walk with God is a community project. You need each other to keep watch. Help each other know Christ so well out of your own walk with him that you can discern together what is unlike him, no matter the seductive or the religious garb. I'm going to pray over you to that end as the worship team comes up and leads us. I want to pray that over you guys here at Harmony Hill, that the Lord would increase these things, keep you on watch. Father, I do ask that for this, for this local congregation of brothers and sisters, um, I pray over them the, these, these spiritual prayers of 1 John, that you would increase their love for one another, Lord God. Even just right now, as, as faces are coming to mind, maybe in the congregation, um, lead them to love one another. Lord Jesus, I, I believe that it's a command, but you also are praying for us actively. Would you just continue to knit the hearts of the men and women in this church to fear your name? And would you help them keep watch together as they walk? Um, you, you have, just getting to hear a little bit of the story about Harmony Hill it is clear that this church is nowhere near dead. It is alive, and it pleases you, and it brings you joy. And I I speak that over this congregation, and I ask that you use them to this extent, that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.